everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and my guest tonight is Jeff Benzig with GM. Jeff, how you doing? I'm great, Anthony. How are you this evening? I'm doing great. So you are nearly five months into your new job. Tell me what that experience has been like. You know, it's it's been a great experience. Uh, growing up in the Detroit area, uh, I always said I would never work for an automotive company. <laughs> uh, I would never work for GM, even though I had family who had, and uh it led me to GM here in, in Fort Wayne, and it's been great. Uh, very similar to other jobs I've had, but being able to use that experience in a, in a very uh, unique environment here and a very important facility for General Motors. So so why that perception? Was it just because it was too close to home, or was there anything specific that made you say, maybe that's not for me? Uh, too close to home. You yeah. know, you grew up, I mean, I grew up in a neighborhood that was heavily General Motors, Chrysler people, uh, mm-hmm. from gen- engineers to production workers to yeah. everybody, and didn't want anything to do with the automotive industry. Yeah. Had a lot of friends who were in the automotive industry, uh, even going to college in Michigan State. In fact, one of my best friends, when I uh, graduated from state, he said to me, I'm an engineer. I'll always be an engineer. I'll probably be a GM in life, and you'll get to go many places and do many things. And uh, I was back up there in early May and stopped in and saw him and his wife. And he's like, I can't believe you're with General Motors now. I said, well, you said you'd always be an engineer. And yeah. and, and I had to join you at some point. But he, he always said, you got a communications degree, a journalism degree. You can go anywhere and do any anything you want. And that's been proven pretty true in my life. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. So you grew up in Michigan. Right. Take us from, you know, when you're starting to figure out a career path, what are you interested in doing where do you start in college, and where does it go from there? My career path began at about seven years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, Detroit Tigers won a 1968 World Series. I fell in love with Ernie Harwell, mm-hmm. and I was going to be Ernie's replacement. That okay. was, was going to be my goal in life. I was going to replace Ernie Harwell as the broadcaster for the Detroit Tigers. And from that point on, wanted to go into broadcasting. All right. Well, that, it's a good thing that you didn't follow Denny McLean as yeah, a role model. Yes. Because, uh, yeah, after the 31 victories, not so good after not that. Not so good. Between yeah. gambling, playing the piano, or whatever else the guy did. <laughs> yeah. You know. But it, it was one of those things that that's what I wanted to do. I mean, uh, grew up as a kid, radio underneath the, underneath the pillow at night, listening to Ernie out on the West Coast. Uh, loved the Tigers. Always loved to listen to him. And, you know, he, he created a love for me for radio. Uh, that took me, uh, honestly, I began really in radio when I, my first two years of college, I went out to South Dakota. People say South Dakota. I said, yeah, I was you know, one of those crazy kids that I wanted to get away from home mm-hmm. and grew up in a big city, wanted to go to a small town. Uh, spent two years there, but worked at a radio station for mm-hmm. uh, about a year and a half, DJing on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Fun job. Worst part was doing it on Christmas Day one year, and I spent uh, one in at six a.m. and the guy who was supposed to relieve me at three called in six, so I worked from six a.m. till two a.m. Wow, it was a long shift. Yeah, sounds uh, like but it. you know, you're by yourself, spinning Christmas records. I didn't know so many people at that point had recorded White Christmas, uh, which now is, of course, my wife's favorite song. So I guess it's apropos. But so did radio, then ended up transferring back and, and went to Michigan State uh, and did journalism. Mm-hmm. Was very fortunate there uh, that. When I got in the program, they were just looking at doing electronics. This is early 80s. Mm-hmm. It, was still all right. it was all writing. Yeah. And they had something called Capital News Service. And the chairman of the department came to me and said, hey, we want to do a radio version. You're in it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm supposed to apply. He goes, no, no, no. You're in it. Oh, I mean, wow. it, it, it was, yeah. and I'm, I'm not telling you, I'm not, wasn't the best. Is this student. because you had work history? Had work history, yeah. and I was, had done pretty well in some of the reporting classes. Yeah. So, me and three others, we pioneered a program at Michigan State Capital News Service. I yep. worked for WFDF out of Flint. And yep. uh, at the time, uh, 
got to work at the state capitol, spent a whole whole term of 10 weeks at, at the state capitol every day going down, reporting news back to the Flint radio station. And I went back a number of years later, and, and the chairman took me into the studio and said, because of you, we have this. So they went from we went from alligator clips in a cassette tape recorder to a, a full-blown studio, and now they even do television. So oh, it had wow. gone a long ways. Got my degree in Michigan State. So at this point, you, you've done you've done you know some some DJ work. You've done news. Is it a news trajectory? Is it a sports trajectory? It, it kind of turns into a news sports yeah. DJ trajectory. I, I start my first job in Northern Michigan small station. Yeah, doing news during the day, high school football, basketball in the evenings, and DJing on the weekend. Okay. You know, you're you're working 70, 80 hours a week, making yeah. a whopping one hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> and I realized I was making like less than two dollars an hour. Yeah, uh, spent. A little time in radio and realized in order to make it, it was going to be a very, very long haul. Yeah. Uh, and from that point, and, it, and it's kind of played out because a lot of, you know, radio has, the news departments and radio stations are gone. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it used mm-hmm. to be you can get a radio station. I mean, even Wobo here at one time probably had, you know, a dozen people on their news sure. team and covered. And that's all changed. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up, ended up finding a job with a weekly newspaper mm-hmm. and loved it. Thank goodness I knew how to write, mm-hmm. uh, not how to spell, but how to write. Big difference. But uh, and uh, did newspaper for three and a half years. Loved it. A small weekly ran ran everything. You know, did the sports, did the editorials. Is that Michigan, yeah, up in Frankenmuth, Michigan. Okay. It's a little, right. little Bavaria, so it's a great town to be in. Had yeah. some friends who were there, and then realized I wanted to get a, a, a master's degree at some point. Mm-hmm. And started looking at, well, maybe there's something else. And, and been there three and a half years, making a little bit more money. And then wound up in central Illinois for an insurance company doing agency communications. So I was writing agency newsletters, uh, policyholder letters, you know, whole different writing scheme, whole yeah. different array of things. And uh, in a, in a you know, uh, an industry that at the time I knew nothing about. Sure, but you're making more than 150 bucks, so you're. Oh yeah, now now yeah. I'm now you know I'm thinking, wow, I'm I'm getting really rich now. Yeah, yeah, and it's so yeah. funny; it's all relative to where you are in yeah, your life. Yeah. And so it just kind of took a circular path from there because then I at the at the um, insurance company I went in and started. Uh, they had not done any really news releases or external PR. Mm-hmm. They started the job, and I got it, and for eight years did all their external communications, uh, company spokesperson on committees, doing all kinds of things in the state, which landed me a job with the National Trade Organization uh, up in Chicago, which lasted two years because my family hated Chicago. I Uh should say my wife and I. It was just a lot with two young children. It's a tough place to be. Uh, Went back, and this is where that path really starts winding, Anthony, as I go back and I get a call about going back to the town we lived in to... uh, become the chamber of commerce director and i'm thinking well well, why not i'll give it a shot yeah and honestly that was probably one of my favorite jobs Hmm. absolutely loved it because i'm out i'm out in the public all day i mean you're out shaking hands talking to members trying to do good things for members did that for two years ran into some little bit of politics and next thing you know sure you know first first time i'm unemployed so yeah uh, and so the path just keeps winding i ended up then uh looking for jobs did pharmaceutical sales for a couple Mm -hmm. years successful yeah yes for what i had but not enough for the company yeah leave that uh go to work for a company and do uh some marketing stuff and six months after i joined them the pharmaceutical company let all the reps go so i i I beat it by about six months yeah 
and spend a year on a contract doing some marketing PR for for an ATM company. Mm-hmm. And then my wife sees an ad for uh, International Truck in a magazine and mm-hmm. says, why don't you apply there? Hmm. And they had a job, and guess what? Next thing you know, I'm coming to Fort Wayne, Indiana huh. to work for International. But I had also had two other job offers at the same time. It was one of the craziest times of my life. Okay. And, and came to Fort Wayne and have never looked back. It's been a great experience. So came here with Navistar, uh, did a brief stint at Do It Best, mm-hmm. and then uh, spent the last previous eight years with um, BAE Systems. So I'm mm-hmm. hitting all the big folks yeah. in town. I'm hitting them all the big ones. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a short time with a PR firm in here in town that you and I know I, yep. I worked with and, and enjoyed it, but economics yeah. kind of got in the way. Another stint of unemployment, and then finally last uh, last year, landed with earlier this year, landed with uh, GM, and it's been uh, it's been nice. It's, yeah. uh, it's it's it. So my path hasn't been straight. You know, some people think it's a direct, mm-hmm. direct trajectory, and it's not. I mean, I've gone from a direct a director to a manager to a specialist, back to a director to a yeah. specialist. So I mean, that that's part of it. Your your career goes all over. It's not necessarily just in one one straight line. Well, it's one of my favorite parts about doing this is learning that path for people who I know. Because how did you and I first meet? Oh, I've known you for so long that I I'm, don't remember how we first met. I don't remember either, but yeah. I, it was something. It was it? It may have been through Kim uh, uh, Gonzalez. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now Kim Murphy. Murphy. Yep. Yeah, Kim. I think it was through Kim Murphy. You and okay. I met through Kim at one point. All right, okay. and that's how I ended up at Do It Best was through Kim because okay. I met her and yeah, and ended up uh, getting working with her for a while at Do It Best. All right, yeah, yeah. And now you and I serve on a board together. together. So, um, so GM, huge employer. Huge presence here. Obviously, you know, the, the most obvious thing I can say is a, a brand known around the world. Tell me about that organization, you know, the, the, the facility you work in in Fort Wayne. What's that like from, from the inside? You know, it's really interesting from an inside perspective. I mean, when I look at it, uh, having worked for several large corporations in my life, what I have really found, and you'll know this too, Marketing communications are always, when there's tough times, they get cut. I mean, that's where everyone goes first. It's yep. the comms guy. It's the marketing guy. We cut yep. out sales. And next thing you know, they're all complaining that no one knows anything and we're not getting any money. Yeah. What I've really found from GM is because of COVID last year, they found that their communications team was vital to the information that they needed to get to employees. So rather than cut people out, They've actually added. Okay. So every large facility has added a communications manager. Mm-hmm. We have some regional ones on some of the smaller sites, but they they really have really bolstered their communications, and it's so and your it's great. position didn't exist. Prior. It did. There was a person in there prior. Okay. Uh, Stephanie Mack was in there prior for about eleven years, and yep. she moved on to regional roles. So okay. she has seven. She has seven plants she now covers, okay. but they're smaller plants. Sure. She was never dedicated just to Fort Wayne. She had multiple plants yep. then. So this is the first truly dedicated okay. comms person that facilities had. And they've done it in multiple facilities now because they realize the value of comms. And, mm-hmm. that, and that's a big thing uh, going forward. And they realize that, I mean, I look at the communications team and you get into marketing, you get to every brand has it. It's huge. I yeah. mean, I, I'm, I'm stunned at how big the marketing, the communications teams are, but I just surprised at the size of my team. We've got like 17 people doing plant okay. communications. All right. What's been really unique, what I really like on the inside is that two weeks before I started, I get a letter from the vice president, top guy of comms with a gift box saying, welcome to the team, handwritten note. I had 
discussions with each of the person going up the chain. And it's been wonderful that they've just embraced talking to folks. Now, I'm older and I figured I was that's not what they're looking for, but they're looking for experience and, it, and it's worked out well. Yeah. Uh, inside, it's interesting, uh, pretty autonomous, mm-hmm. uh, which I find kind of unique is where they say, hey, here's here's some messaging tailor to what you need mm-hmm. and you're not running back up the flagpole to get everything approved so that's yeah. that's a nice a nice change of pace and you can move quickly that way or at least a little more quickly oh sure i mean yeah. and and you know lately we've had we've had plant shut down we've had sure we've got a lot of issues out there going on uh because of uh, i was going to mention it but the chip shortage around the world yeah things the, beyond the, your control things beyond control down yeah. so there's things you have to do pretty quickly so yeah. uh yeah we get a little message and say hey cascade this out However, you guys want to do it. So, and I've I've really hit a good button, uh, good good feeling with the the local plant management. We're kind of on the same page, and yeah. and it's been a great a great fit for I think for me especially because um, they respect already what I'm doing. I'm five months on the job, and they already come to me for advice. So that's kind of a nice thing to have. Yeah. So so help me understand. I like a lot of people locally. I think I have a vague sense of of it's obviously a huge facility. How many employees, how how big is the place? Put that into context for me if you can. Uh, so put it in context, about 4.1 million square feet under roof. Wow, okay. Uh, 17 acres. Okay. Uh, right there, there's 17 acres on the property. I think it's, uh, I think it's 17, maybe a little bit larger. Yeah. I mean, we got deer on the property, so it's pretty big. Yeah. yeah. Uh, about 4,400 employees. Okay. Uh, most production workers, yeah. three shifts running mm-hmm. five days a week. We don't run much on the weekends. There, there are times we'll run a weekend shift. But that becomes a challenge, too, because sure. you're trying to communicate with close to 3,500 people who are out on a line who don't have access to an email account or yep. or their phone's not hooked up. So yeah. we, we've had to find other creative ways to reach them, too. Yeah. And and at a time when the employment environment is incredibly competitive, too. Oh, I think I was on the job three weeks and ended up at a job fair doing, doing TV interviews because yeah. we're trying to find people. And we just did another one two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, we've had two job fairs and f- and we're still trying to find people. I, and I, I think it's everywhere. Who anybody who's got any type of uh, labor need, it's it's you're hurt right now. I mean, look at the local restaurants who, sure, you know, they're shutting down at noon, sure, and doing no lunchtime or they're sure, you know, sure. a lot of stuff like that. And that's become a big part of the role is trying to find those employees and working with our talent acquisition and HR. And I sit with, right with the HR department, so part of their team in a way. And it's it's been pretty pretty nice going there. Yeah. Well, well, one of the topics that has become more critical in the work that I do is employer branding. You know, branding writ large is, you know, whatever the implicit promise is to the audience. Employer branding is what do people think about you as an employer? And so it sounds like your role has some has some synergy with that. Absolutely. We just finished a what we call a poll survey for workplace of choice, trying mm-hmm. to find out how employees feel. Yeah. Uh, got about a thousand of our hourly employees to actually do the survey, which was the numbers were up. Yeah. Uh, and and you get you get mixed reactions yeah, from sure. it. I mean, sure. I think wherever you're at, the thing is the people who uh, are the loudest, they're ones who are complaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have a lot of people who are very thankful for the job at, yeah. at General Motors. I mean, it, it's an interesting thing. You know, you talk about it. it Years ago, when I worked in insurance, the, the old saying was, it's cheaper to keep a client yeah. than it is to go, go and find a new one. Yeah. And it's the same thing with an employee. It's yeah, cheaper to keep sure. an employee, keep them happy, yep. than to go and get a new one. I mean, even if you get someone on a production line, you're talking, it's still about $100,000 to get them trained and up to yeah. date. And, yeah. and so when we get people coming in and churning, I mean, that's an expensive proposition for oh, any sure. company, and especially for GM, where you're trying to get people to work on a line to build what... 
is one of GM's top valued products that they are trying to get out. I mean, uh, it's the Silverado and the Sierra combined are the top selling pickup trucks in the country. Mm-hmm. So, so the changes that we're seeing in the automotive industry. How much of that is being visited upon your facility? Again, only speak about what you're comfortable speaking about. Yeah. But you know, you're you're seeing an industry that you know is contemplating major changes in in the coming years. How are you dealing with that, and and what you communicate? Well, huge changes, as you know. I mean, GM has kind of laid out the groundwork that by uh, I think 2030 we want about half our vehicles to be electric, and hopefully mm-hmm. by 2035 all will be electric. And I think the unique thing I'm finding with General Motors growing up as an automobile company is what you don't realize is it's really a technology company. Mm-hmm. And that's as a communicator of what we're trying to get across to the employees. We're really – while we build automobiles, we're a technology company just like Tesla's. You know, mm-hmm. Tesla has a te- – you know, they're trying to build cars, but they claim to be a technology company. Yeah. We build cars. We know how to build trucks and cars. And you look at a lot of technology through the years that the automobile companies have put in and, and – you Ford and Stellantis, which is Chrysler now, uh, and GM, they're really technology companies. They've invented a lot of things. You had OnStar. You've had, mm-hmm. uh, I think now, GM what would Super Cruise, which will be the new autonomous driving. Okay. So there's a lot of a, a lot of technology going into the cars today, and, and it shows with the chip situation. Um, you look, I mean, in the electric cars, uh, you know, the Hummer's coming. There's going to be, eventually, will be an electric Silverado, which mm-hmm. has been announced. But right now, we're going to stay with what we call the internal combustion engine yep. because it does make the money. It's yeah. the money that's helping to fuel the the research and the development of, of the electric vehicles. And at some point, uh, you'll probably see you know changes here at the plant. But for foreseeable future, we'll be building pickup trucks with gas and diesel engines for a while. Yep. So, so as you think about your work today and the stuff that are, you know, the bigger rocks that you're trying to move, are you still in the process of kind of onboarding and figuring it out or you're past that? To, to ask that another way, what are the things that are occupying most of your time and most of your headspace these days? Well, I'm still onboarding, so yep. I'm still learning some things. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I have some manufacturing background between uh, BAE and, and Navistar, so I get some of that. Uh Still navigating because the standpoint is, you know, we're now in a almost 40-year-old facility. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of technology stuff that has to be done. There's a lot of stuff that gets moved and removed and moved and removed and yeah. moved over. And I think I think the big challenge that I'm working on is, one, learning, learning, mm-hmm. trying to get a feel for the floor, yep. uh, which I don't do enough of, of getting out and sure. talking to folks. But it, it's getting better. But I think the big thing is the challenge that I think anybody has is making sure employees understand that their employer really cares about them, mm-hmm. that the employer, well, yeah, we're making money, but we also understand that their well-being, that their family's well-being is something that GM and, and, and we care about. And so there's a variety of things that you have to learn, you, you know, a lot of programs, you know, health programs mm-hmm. and fitness programs and, and safety programs. I mean, this week is our um, what we call uh, – uh, it's, it's our safety week, and I just lost uh, lost. But it's a whole whole week of nothing but talking about safety. Sure, because we want people to come in and go away the same as they came in and come yeah. go away whole. But the tough part in, in a role like this is finding the right communication tools, mm-hmm. finding the right, and you know you call it branding, but branding the company with your employees because mm-hmm. it's it's key because they also then become your best marketers. Yeah, for sure. If your employees and our employees are proud of those products mm-hmm. that come off that line. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you that, you know, they would, 
go in the parking lot and you'll see everyone's different. You'll see all the brands out there outside of the foreign cars, but but those GM, you know, those GM pickup trucks are something they're extremely proud of. Sure. And and and, and that's what they want to know is that they're important and, and as a vital plant as as Fort Wayne is and trying to communicate the company's perspective to them is key. And again, it's marketing to them, but in in a, in a sense, using them to market to everybody else. Yeah. So you started this job in the middle of a pandemic. What's what's that been like, knowing that, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, shifting rules and norms and things being communicated to employees? How is that going? <laughs> well, I, and, you know, that's part of the communication process, too, because yeah. I'm involved in all of that. And a lot of times on phone calls in the morning or, or we have a, a weekly call that we get on, and so things can shift quickly. I mean, yeah. we went uh, maskless for those who are vaccinated for about three to four weeks. Yep. And then, of course, things picked up again and sure. we went back to mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting when everyone took their mask off because there's people who would walk by that I would know if yep. they had their sure. mask on, sure. but I did not recognize with their mask off. So that's kind of an interesting yeah. thing. But it's also the constant communication on what's going on and the ever changing rules, regulations, processes, procedures. Not just from GM's perspective, but even, you know, governmental. and Because yeah, you're basically following CDC and OSHA recommendations, correct? Trying to as best you can. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and then you get people, and, and you get both sides. You know, there's two sides to it. Some people think it's ridiculous. Some mm-hmm. people think that we're not doing enough. And some people think, oh, hey, this is enough. Let's yeah. just leave it where we're at. And so that's been a battle, too. I mean, that's that's part of the, in my role, especially because since we have a union and because you have, and there really shouldn't be, but you always have the management and you know, hourly sure, sure. line that they always want to create. And it shouldn't be there. And we're trying to, we're, as communicators, we're trying to get rid of that line. Yeah, sure. But I think the big thing, too, is, is juggling that line of staying somewhat neutral. Mm-hmm. But again, also, you've got, I, you know, GM pays the bills. So I've got mm-hmm. to kind of lean to where the oh, company's sure. going on things. But to, to kind of clarify to employees why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. You know, we're not doing it because... We're bad. They're bad yeah. people. You're not trying to make the work environment. No, we're worse. not trying. Yeah. I mean, it'd be better for everyone if they didn't have to wear a mask. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Uh, I can't stand wearing a mask. I mean, by the end of the week, I mean, it's kind of like, ah. Yeah, I don't know. know a lot of people who like doing no, it. No, no, yeah. no one likes doing it. But it, <laughs> yeah. you, I, and I think a lot of it is being cautious. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, things have calmed down since when I started. I mean, we used to do temperature screens mm-hmm. and questioning, and then we went just okay, wear a yeah. mask. And so people have accepted it, and I think, and I, I would wouldn't be surprised if at some point it just becomes a norm for a lot of people are going to wear a mask no matter what. Sure. But just getting the COVID information out to folks, yeah. you know, we we report weekly on how many cases we have. We let them know if we're doing uh, a vaccine clinic. We let we we've got to constantly keep them up to date on what we're doing. Sure. Uh, and we get a lot of help from Detroit. I mean, yeah. it gives me a lot of information, too, that, we again, we can tailor sometimes to, to our current situation. Sure. Well, with 4,400 employees, you're kind of running a small city in itself. So. It, it is. I mean, you know, I think it's the largest private employer outside of the hospitals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know the school district's got, you know, Fort Wayne schools are big and, and the hospitals are big, but I think GM kind yeah. of outshines them all. And and it is a small city out there. I mean, we have our own rescue teams out there now. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it it's it's in a couple of weeks we got some new services coming to where you won't even have to go get your car gas because you can get the company's going to have a fuel service that'll come in and fill up your car so oh, well. they're trying to do anything to make it easy on the employees and bringing in as many uh, you know perks as they can sure 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 so I want to pivot to the speed round of the show where we talk <laughs> about some of the things we've already talked about but in a more concise way. 
So you've you've had a really varied career. You've done mm-hmm. a lot of different things. You've lived in in slightly different places across the Midwest. You've had times when your job went away unexpectedly. You had times when you had multiple job offers on the table. <laughs> What's your best career advice? You know, if you were talking to someone who's just getting started in their career or someone who maybe was facing the prospect of a job loss or someone who was looking at multiple offers, what would you tell someone about what it takes to be successful in a career? Oh. I, I think the most important thing is stay positive. Mm-hmm. Stay positive with your career, even if it, even if it gives you a curveball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and don't get down on yourself. I mean, you people can really, really get down on themselves if you lose a job. I mean, yeah. I, I can tell you the first time I did, I was for weeks kind of yeah. like, you're just out of it. Sure. And uh, just kind of, I know it was a speed round, but really quick. So it was so funny because I, I lost the job with the Chamber of Commerce. And within months, the other, the, the executive director of the organization, another person was wiped out. And I had created a plan, which was to break the, we had an economic development and convention visit bureau and chamber were kind of combined. And my plan was, I think the three of them need to be separated. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get, you get let go. Three months later, after I'm let go, they announced we're separating the organizations. <laughs> and I watched then now for the next three years, my blueprint that I had laid out. Yeah come to fruition. And that's when I got off the got off and said, hey, you are doing the right thing. Yeah, sure. And I, I think it's staying positive, but I, I and it's making connections. Yeah. You know, that's my best career advice. Even from someone starting out, get connected to somebody. Mm-hmm. Find someone in, in an area you're look, interested, reach out to them. Yeah. Uh, I was fortunate that uh, I had a couple of good mentors that came along mm-hmm. in my life. Uh, one of them was at the newspaper who he had previous publisher. His name was Edmund Arnold. Uh, he he actually designed, created the design for USA Today. Oh, Ed wow. did. He had been one time the owner of that, ma- that newspaper up in Frankenmuth. And he gave me some great advice of, hey, you know, keep you got to keep going. You got to keep striving. Yep. Don't ever give up what you're doing and you can always improve. And and him and then Stan Soffin at Michigan State University were really mm-hmm. instrumental in me in my early part of my career. Just and not so much for a lot of contacts, but at least Keep you on the positive side of things. So making those connections, I think, is huge. And, and then from that, you know, don't ever look any opportunity down. And yeah. don't say, I'm going to stay in this industry because, I mean, I've worked in insurance. I've worked in hardware. I've worked mm-hmm. in automotive. I've worked yeah. in, you know, agri- uh, aeronautical. I've worked yeah. in, in, I mean, all over. And, and, and in marketing and communications, you can, you can do it all. Yeah. So next um, question when you describe the organization you work for to someone who doesn't know much about it, uh, and it's it's a hard <laughs> one because it's a big organization, what, what do you say about GM? Kind of where I put it on the table with you earlier was it's really now a technology company mm-hmm. more than an automotive company. Yeah. Because automotive is tech. Mm-hmm. It's a high-tech company. I mean, even within, even within the facility, there are jobs there now that uh, weren't there – you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago when the plant opened. I mean, now we need people to run robots. Mm-hmm. We need people to run computers. Mm-hmm. So just the technology involved in manufacturing is amazing. I mean, the one that boggles my mind is the one where they attach the chassis and the box together mm-hmm. onto the frame. They put everything together, the, I mean, the body and the, the chassis together, and this huge robot does it. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, it used to take six guys. Yeah. And a lot of them would get their rotator cuff torn and get yeah. injured because of the way it was. And now this thing comes in, bolts it all together yeah. in about 10% of the time. Yeah. And it, and not, yeah, it, six people lost their job or maybe 18 people, 
they went to different jobs, but they actually saved people because now they're not getting injured. Yeah. And, and some of those things technology-wise, uh, GM and, and Ford and the rest have really, really pushed those technology. And I think that's it. It's a technology company that builds trucks and automobiles. Okay. So, so a little bit of a sidebar. You've worked with some really big organizations, yeah. global organizations. Is that something you think you're built for or have you just adapt, adapted to that environment because that's where your career path has taken you? I think it's adaptability. Mm-hmm. And I and I to me that was key having a journalism degree. Yeah. I've got a marketing and an MBA in marketing and it's been adaptable. Mm-hmm. And I think if you have those things and I've worked for small companies. I mean, worked yeah. for a small PR firm, I worked for a chamber that had eight people in it. Yeah. So I've worked large and small. Uh, yeah. so you just adapt. I mean, yeah. and, and if you have the right soft skills, yeah. I think you can. Yeah. Uh, that, and I think that's a key. I think that's a, another key, not just for people in marketing, but I think people in any position is finding those soft skills because, you know, there's engineers who get promoted into management jobs and they're terrible because yep. they don't have the soft skills. Sure. So, I mean, that's something that even GM's trying to do and stuff that BA systems is doing and Avastar was doing is how do we develop these folks into soft skills? Yep. Because, yeah, they got the hard skills. They can do the math. They can do the science. But what about... What about what dealing about the with people, people skills? Yeah, and I think it's become apparent that people skills end up being more important in the end than than some of those other things. Yeah, I mean for sure. I mean my belief, and, and this might be self preservation more than anything <laughs> else, because I have no real skills. But you know, my my belief is that uh, you're better differentiated by relationships and people skills than those hard skills. You know, you can have two people who are both. You know, one who's a great accountant, one who's a decent accountant. The decent accountant will do way better if their relationship and people skills are better. Oh, it's all about relationships. Yeah. I mean, I don't care if you're in sales, you're in marketing, uh, if you're in management, because even if you're, if you're, for instance, our, our plant director, he still has to be a salesman. He still has to sell himself, his plans, his yep. vision has to be sold to everybody in the plant. So. Yeah. And a friend of mine here in town, Mike Roth, who was at Navistar, and one of the things one day he came in at Navistar, and Mike had a shirt and tie on, and we never wore a shirt and tie at that point. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, you got an interview today? And he says, I interview every day. Huh. And yeah. I thought, what a great line. I mean, yeah. And he was serious. Every day you're in the office, every day you're working, every day you're out, you're interviewing because you never know where that next opportunity is going to come. You never know yeah. what's going to befall on you. You just don't know. And so he was basically prepared every day as an interview. And I thought that was kind of a unique perspective of, of going to work. Yeah, I'm going to have to start dressing better. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I, you know, it, it's been interesting because I started my career wearing blue jeans and, t- and, and yeah. shirts going going to radio station. I got to the point where I was wearing, you know, four or $500 suits every yeah. day because I worked for an insurance company. To now I'm back to wearing shirts yeah. and blue jeans every day. So yeah. I kind of like the jeans feel, though. It's kind of a, it's kind of nice to go into work with the blue jeans on. And especially if you're in a plan environment, you, yeah, it, it can sure. get dirty at times. For sure, for sure. So last question, you know, I mentioned you started a job in the midst of a pandemic and and you were looking for your next opportunity at the beginning of the pandemic. Right. What have you learned from that experience? You know, it, now that that hopefully while there's been significant bumps in the road, hopefully we're we're coming out of this at at some point in the near future. What have you learned from the pandemic or during the pandemic that you didn't know before that you think is going to stick with you moving forward, either as a marketer in your career path or whatever resonates with you? That's a great question. You know, the one thing I I found is when I began, when the pandemic began and I I joined the PR firm and a lot of it was remote. I mean, everybody was working remote. Yeah. 
what I what stuck with me though is you still can't beat being with the person every day with your with the with your peers or yeah. working with people. It's great you can work remote, and in fact, you know, GM now we've got people who are joining who are staying in places like you know they're working for Detroit, but they're in Minneapolis or they're yeah. in New York. And I think it's you lose some continuity when you're mm-hmm. not around other people. Yeah. And that sticks stuck with me pretty pretty heavily. I saw I see a big difference um, in the fact that I think people want to be around people. Yeah. And as much as remote is nice yeah. and it's nice to use mm-hmm. on occasion, I'm just wondering how long it's going to stay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's there. There's a positive in it that I think we've learned how to leverage the benefits of remote. And I and I don't think it has to be, and I hope it doesn't become an either or scenario. You know, there was a there was a podcast I listened to, oh, right at the beginning of of the pandemic, and they said a lot of things that that helped kind of calm me down. And and one of them was that you know there are things that are better done remote, asynchronous communication. You know, sometimes it's better to give a status update on paper because everybody has the same information; they can read it at their own on their own time. And they have something to refer back to as opposed to that being done verbally. But there's just no substitute for collaboration and teamwork and relationship building than face-to-face. Um, and, and I think it's about leveraging the best of both of those, especially in large organizations that have to have some standards and, and can't be free form for every employee. Yeah, well, no, no doubt about it. And I think that the thing about remote is is it is going to give people opportunities to do some jobs they wouldn't have been able to do. Yeah. So you're not going to see – I mean, there are some jobs you don't have to be sitting next to mm-hmm. somebody. Yeah. Uh, you know, Teams has been great or Zoom or whatever people – because at least you could see pe- people face-to-face. Uh, so I think that's going to stick with us. But I think companies are also going to see that there's – like you said, there's that collaboration that sometimes y- you got to have. And I think the other thing coming out of this is that humans are adaptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever the situation is, we can adapt to it given, yeah. given time. I mean, you look at schools, you look at businesses, quick adapt. People adapted really quick. Now, GM, our situation is you can't adapt. You can't build trucks remotely. Yeah, yeah, for I mean, sure. that, you know, there's some things you can't do remotely. And I, I think the other thing that sticks with me through this, Anthony, on, on a marketing perspective is, is as we look at social media, is it damaging us more than it's helping from the standpoint of, you know, some people call it censorship, but I mean, are we getting the full story? And I think mm-hmm. it's it's having some, it's damaged a lot of reputations, I yeah. think, uh, news reputations, organization reputations. And, and that, that's the sad part. Things yeah. that you were used to be able to trust, now everyone is questioning everything. And I think that's one thing I learned is, and it's going to stick with me, is you start questioning everything now whatever yeah. you hear and that and that's a sad part of it there's no authority anymore yeah well and and i've i haven't been on the record as saying this but i've thought it and i'll share it here because you brought it up for the first time is i used to say social media is neither bad nor good but it's a net good by about this much i don't know that i believe that anymore um you know what i'm seeing is people getting fed more information that reflects their worldview only and not enough productive deliberation and debate. Um, and I think it leads to that distrust because if I if I'm living in a in a in a silo and I'm hearing the same thing over and over again, and there's something now from the outside that challenges that, now I'm more entrenched. And regardless of which side of you're on, you're on, exactly. I'm more entrenched in whatever I believe. And I think that the real magic happens 
when you say, I don't know, <laughs> when you say, I'm not sure, when you say, I want to learn you know, more about this, exactly. but we're all becoming very entrenched and we all think we have all the answers when it's, I think, less certain that any of us have any of the well, answers. And that lays into what we were talking about earlier with, with GM, mm-hmm. is me bat- straddling that line to make sure that we don't get that line yeah. It, it, that divide yeah. at the office. I mean, that, yeah. that's really important that we kind of give them both sides of the story as much as we can. Uh, but you're right. I mean, there's there's a great divide right now, and yeah. and it's sad, and it's and it's an information divide. I think we're almost. I mean, I was honestly within a few days of dropping out of Facebook. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. The only reason I'm on Facebook is we have our own internal Facebook page now yep. because it's it was the best way to communicate with employees when they're sitting at home, yep. especially the folks who are on the line. They can get into a page. They can find the information. Yep. And that's where we're heading as a company is that that channel is growing for us because that's where we're putting a lot of our information out for it's employees. people where they already are. They're there. Yeah. Uh, some people are like, I'm not on Facebook. Okay. But that's where the information is going. So, yeah. you know, don't post anything. Just get a Facebook page. Yeah. Uh, and so you can get our information and sign up for the page and make sure you're getting the latest information because it goes there as soon as we, we'll put it out. And, I mean, I did a communication last week so to announce we were coming back. So there's an email. There's a notification that goes out if, on your phone and everything yeah. else. And then there's Facebook. Yeah. I mean, you use them all. And, yeah. and I think that's key, too. When you're my, in my role in production, you're using every channel you can find and reach people. Absolutely. There's there's a guy who was on the podcast close to a year ago named Andrew Booth who works at MedPro and does he does learning and development for MedPro he does marketing for MedPro and he said something that has stuck with me he said you know today it's all about consistency of message told through as many different mediums as you can making sure the message is the same but you're using as many different medias you get your arms around and going back to Facebook you know I have deactivated Facebook now for the second time and I think it's permanent but <laughs> I still have I still have a fake account that is my name spelled slightly wrong for client stuff. And my rule is if it is a client that I have to I have to look at their Facebook insights or for the class I teach, you know, the, the irony was I dumped Facebook and then I said, oh, the best way for us to communicate outside of class is going to be through Facebook. <laughs> so I, had to, I was like, oh, okay, I guess I have to be back on. But I said because of the degree to which – it's negative, and some of that's a reflection of my personality. I just don't think I'm built for the beating that I feel like I take on Facebook when I go there, and some of it is self-imposed, hitting myself with my own shoe. But, you know, I've found a compromise that works for me, but I certainly I, – I, I think that, um, you know, you're definitely on to something with the questions you're asking about social media, but also balancing that with the imperative to be present because – you know, for all of its warts, can be a good communication tool. You've got you've got to be there, but you don't want to be there. Yeah, I, and yeah. I, I think the big thing is, I mean, with all the social media channels out there now, I mean, even, even the new ones that are popping up, I mean, it's almost too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm a newspaper junkie. Mm-hmm. I, five years old, would be reading the newspaper. My parents were, you know, were amazed. I'd go through the sports scores and everything else. And, you know, today the newspaper's, they're dying. Mm-hmm. And even go online, it's tough to read online. Yeah. And everybody wants you to pay. Yeah. And, and that gets tough. And so you you go to other sources, and there's just too much. I mean, I think it's information overload. I mean, yeah. it's, what, it's what's happening. And so many people, like you said, they go then to the source that backs what their opinion is. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, that, that I, I've tried to do, and, and I, I don't succeed at this every day, 
is I've kind of decided I'm going to I'm going to leverage strategic ignorance and say I'm just going to opt out of a lot of this stuff and I'm going to learn through people and try to keep my network somewhat diverse so that when I'm sitting across the table from you I'm going to you know I'm going to ask you what's going on in your world and I'm going to get a different perspective than I might if I'm talking to Nick or if I'm talking to other people um, and, and hopefully it's diverse enough that I'm going to learn from that and not just trust the algorithm to tell me what it is I think I should know. Yeah. That I, how true. I mean, I hate that about social media. Although my wife will say she'll mention something and then she pulls up Facebook and it's whatever she mentioned just pops up. So it scares the heck out of her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, like you said, it, it's a, they're, they're great tools used if they're used properly. Yeah, and it, I think right now they they're just being used as propaganda and it, on both sides, whatever side you're on. And it, it's disheartening. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I go back to a, a story and, and this is a professor I had at Michigan State and and my, and my feeling about journalism today is we were told to do a oh, we're given facts to do an obituary. Yeah. So I write this obituary and of course I put in oh he's a great guy whatever I can't remember what it, all the you know, the adjectives you use to describe this gentleman. And I get it back from the professor, Professor Cullen, it was his name, and a big red F on it. And I'm like, he goes, it's well written. I said, yeah. He goes, but if I wanted your, and I'll expletive, opinion, I would have asked for it. Mm. If you're not doing a right strut review or a movie review mm-hmm. or an editorial, I don't give a darn what you have to say. Yeah. Give me the facts. Yeah. And I think that's where we are today. You know, yeah. I don't. I, everything does has be, doesn't have to be written with a slant. Lay out the facts. Let us decide for ourselves. And I, and I think that's where the divide's coming. Is everyone wants to put their put their spin yeah. on the story, and then you don't you don't know what what's the accurate part of the story anymore. Yeah, there's not enough objectivity, so you get to create that on your own, and that's hard to do. Oh yeah, yeah, and it, it, that is unless you go to multiple multiple sources. For sure. Well, my my new rule of thumb starting this past January was only happy social media. On Instagram, I follow people I know in real life. The only brands I follow are clients. I'm on LinkedIn, which is 90% self-promotional, which is happy. No one's going to speak ill of themselves. Right. Um, sometimes some stuff sneaks in that I don't like. Um, and and that's really it. And I try to avoid I, – I haven't mastered it yet, so I'm not I'm – not, this isn't a, a grandstand. It's a question of it's, – it's to expose the fact that I'm continuing to question how do you navigate all this and still be a good public citizen because you're informed right. without it becoming toxic. And, I, and I'm with you. I mean, I, I follow people I like, you know, mm-hmm. people I know. Yeah. I follow a lot of bourbon accounts. <laughs> well, uh, that'll make you happy really Yeah, quick. that yeah. makes you really happy. <laughs> but just, you know, it's kind of throwing, you know, yeah. it's like I'm not following. And I follow a couple of my sports teams. But, you know, yeah. uh, political-wise, I'm not following anybody anymore pretty yeah. much. I, I mean, it's. It's some friends and some yeah. family and, like I said, some bourbon. I got into watching YouTube bourbon shows, which has been been pretty ex- exciting lately. Yeah. Well, well, sometime we will have to sit together and drink bourbon and watch one of those shows. That sounds great. There's, and, a, there's and, a great one out there called It's Bourbon Night that I felt that has been – it's the one that sucked me in and has kept me going. All right. Well, well, we, we should definitely do that <laughs> okay. and and talk more about these, these, these topics that we've probably lost everyone on at this point. But certainly I think it's important and it does affect the work that we do, even if it's only oh. in an oblique way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely does. I mean, yeah. it, it really, it really. I mean, as you know, marketing, social media marketing has become huge. It's where most of the dollars are going nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and even if you're on, you know, 
TV anymore. Who knows if there anybody's seen it because if they're streaming or they're channel changing. I mean, the, the advertising dollars have gone in multiple directions. And, and you know, it used to be you had billboards, radio, and TV, and newspapers, yeah. and yeah. that was it. And now it's oh, yellow pages. Oh, and, trust and, me, uh, you know, and, and you know this too. I, I, some days I'd love to go back to 1992. It was simpler, um, but the reality is, toothpaste is out of the tube, and no, uh, you know, a big part of our work is helping people sort that out and and reaching an audience that is increasingly hard to reach. Well, and, I, and you know, and even marketing wise into a company, it's fine. You know, the channels to find the channels to reach our employees, it, it's just, it's just as difficult. We have some employees who still want to read something on paper. Yeah, for sure. We have people who want it on Facebook. Yeah. We have people, and I end up thinking it ends up being the most effective way is face to face or their or their their leader coming to them and yeah. talking to them. As much as we want to say all these other communication channels are are great, I think that personal communication uh, is probably the best there is out there. And it's it's just like advertising. Word of mouth beats anything else that's that you can do. I mean, you could put all the money you want in radio, TV, and but if you get one bad review or someone starts knocking you down on the street, yeah, for sure, that, that that probably weighs more to people than than you know an ad they hear on Wobo. Yeah, it just comes down to trust, and that's still transacted person to person. Exactly, and I think that's what you know we're trying to find with GM is how do we build that trust and, and give the information to our employees through their group leaders or, or however they want to find it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Jeff, this has been a pleasure. We have succeeded in turning what was the speed round of the show into the longest part of the show, which I kind of thought we might do. But thank you very much. It's been great hearing about your background and, and a little bit of the work you're doing today. Well, thanks. It's an honor to be here. And thanks, everyone, who took time to listen to this episode. We'll be back next time with another great guest, and we hope you will join us then.